0: Folks, we are doing what they, and by they, I mean we, said we would never do. That's right. We're going to do what they say can't be done. What, what we said we wouldn't do, and, and that they said we couldn't do. That's right. We are officially announcing dates for the Chapo Trap House tour of the South. Insert banjo music here. That's right. All our, all our boys, all our, all our, boys and girls in the South, we're coming. We're coming next year. Chris, should we roll down the dates and cities? Yes, we've got seven dates for you,
1: uh, starting Tuesday, February twenty fourth. Thir- it Charlotte. says Thursday, February
2: twenty fourth. God damn it,
0: <laughs> Thursday, yeah. February twenty fourth, Charlotte, North Carolina, at the Underground. Sunday, February twenty seventh, in Atlanta, at Buckhead Theater thursday march 3rd in nashville tennessee at the basement east friday march 18th in dallas at the echo lounge and music hall then tuesday march 22nd at houston the white oak music hall and rounding it out thursday march 24th in nolens at the civic theater that's right chapo is doing the south we will also have a date in Austin
1: sometime between March 13th and 16th that will be announced soon. So if you're in Austin, keep those dates open. Uh, pre sale for these shows will start tomorrow, December 7th at 10 a.m. Uh, for Patreon subscribers only. I will be posting a promo code to Patreon uh, that you can use to get pre sale tickets. Regular sale for all of these uh, for the general public will go on sale this Friday at 10am. So if you're a Patreon subscriber, go check out Patreon. There will be a code there uh, for you to buy all these tickets beforehand and then regular sale
0: uh, starts this Friday at 10am. I cannot stress it enough. They said it would never happen. They said three guys from, let's run it down, Manhattan, New York City, Hyde Park, Chicago, Illinois, Manitowoc, Wisconsin, just three, uh, three of the most northern boys on the planet, that's right, we're crossing over. I cannot wait for all of the hijinks, culture clashes, and comedic opportunities abound on our tour of the American South and Texas. So get your tickets for those, and a uh,
1: few tickets left as well for our show in Buffalo in just two days on Wednesday. Uh, December 8th. We'll put the link to those tickets in the episode description. But otherwise, we'll see you in the South in February and March. Cheers.
2: I'm in a bad mood here in Slovenia it's a total shit. numbers we are dead not even dark red black zone now Slovenia Austria this central Europe central eastern Europe it's the worst area in the world now (laughs) and no no the the sad thing is that people are in a strange depressive apathetic apathetic indifference they don't care life goes on you know We are beyond fear and anxiety and all that stuff.
0: Uh, Well, you were just talking about um, how, you know, uh, Slovenia, Central Europe is the worst place in the world because people are just sort of uh, depressed or whatever. But I just want to get into uh, something you wrote about, um, at least as it regards one of the current uh, cascading catastrophes uh, roiling the world. You wrote about the state and it's something that I've certainly felt right now about the COVID, like the COVID passing from a state of fear into depression. Especially post-vaccine, and it's this realization that, like, realization that people aren't afraid so much anymore of dying of COVID, but they are deeply depressed because it's this feeling that, like, there is no going back to normal. And I guess that's I want to uh, start with that, like, where th- th- this transition from fear into depression.
2: Yes, first I must say I must praise myself a little bit. I must say that I said this two years ago at the beginning. Okay, it was a risky thing to say that. There will not be a return to normal as we know it. And maybe if you allow me to improvise a little bit on my favorite point, which is how how you can measure this, the growth of this depression in different time units. Do you remember, if you still remember it, uh, a little bit less than, 10, uh, than two years ago, the first wave, the unit was two weeks. At the beginning, February, March, we will told even your legendary Dr. Fauci said, just suffer, it will be bad for two weeks. Be patient. And I remember he said, April will already be yours. It will be better, free, and so on, just two weeks. Then in the summer, it became uh, half a year, six months. Then, in winter, it became two years, like three waves, and so on, and so on. And now nobody even talks about it. Nobody wants to predict it, and so on, and so on. But what worries me even more than this psychic consequence in the sense of depression, and so on, and so on, is maybe we can talk about these two, three other Points. The first is, and my good friend Yanis Varoufakis, the economist who was the Minister of Finance in the Kyrgyzha government, how I am not an anti-vaxxer, absolutely not, but I still think that we have here a model how, let's call it the system, the establishment, used the pandemic not just in this primitive way. You know, people usually mention two things. One is big pharmaceutical companies are behind it to profit. No, I I looked at the numbers. Profits at this level are not so tremendous. Second thing is how a big uh, state agencies use this to enhance their control over us. This is also not a topic that's very important. And Why? Let me mention you an example, which is very convincing for me. When anti-vaxxers said, even some of them, even like Giorgio Agamben, uh, the pandemic was basically invented or at least blown up so that those in power, digital companies, state administration could enhance tremendously their control. I think this line of argumentation is catastrophically wrong. Why? Because, first, are we aware that we, most of us at least, in so-called developed countries, here I include also China, of course, and Russia, they all our countries have such an efficient, detailed system of control, not only all that we buy, what we read, but what we do in our free time, when you watch TV, when you use Kindle, we are already so, so controlled that the, uh, the the new control measures, especially digital one, applied by uh, in in the course of the campaign against the pandemic, are relatively modest. The idea was to follow where we move and so on and so on. And if we follow this line of argument, we really serve the establishment. You know why? Because let me give you again, now I'm trying to improvise it, an extremely primitive example. Let's say that you are doing something horrible. It will be, in my style, a bad taste example. (laughs) Or, okay, me. Why you? Me. I am a bad guy, which I'm not, at least not at this (laughs) level. I'm regularly beating my wife. Then once my wife, It's something which almost chokes her, you know. And I, you know, one of the strategies, you put your body forward, you beat the person who is uh, getting suffocated, you beat her on her back so that it comes out. So you catch me doing this, and you attack me, that it wasn't really the fear of strangulation. I just use this as an excuse to to make her suffer. But this is a very unfortunate example, because for me, it's difficult to say, no, I can prove it to you. I helped her. I saved her life. You see the parallel. We shouldn't attack the establishment at the level where it's even doing something which may be at least up to a certain level. Help. So like, yeah, they
0: uh, you know, like in this uh, in, in, in this metaphor here, uh, they may be like uh, uh, abusing us uh, regularly, but at this moment when you're yeah. we choking to death and they do something that looks like similar to that abuse, uh, you shouldn't um, attack them for uh, performing the Heimlich maneuver on you when you're choking, even if they've uh, hit you, hit yeah, you in you. face. Yeah, pick up an before.
2: example where we are really abused totally, yeah. where we are really controlled. Don't make it easy to them, you know. So uh, let me finish this line. Recently, I two other things are much more interesting for me. The first one is how the pandemic was used to, and we can return to it later if you want, the pandemic was used to make a passage in today's global capitalism much faster, the passage which is so radical Again, Varoufakis, my friend, even claims, maybe he goes a little bit too far here, but basically I think he is right. And Joe Dean in the United States claims the same, that we are passing from what, what we called neoliberal capitalism, rule of the market, and so on, to something called different names are used here. I will stick to, although I find this name problematic. The, neo, the corporate neo-feudalism. The idea is that uh, there is a new, let's call it, class opposition. On the one hand, stronger, uh, greater and greater number of precarious workers, uh, which is a wonderful way to exploit us, because you experience yourself as a freelancer, free small owner of a small business of yours you are not directly subordinated to anyone on the other hand we are getting mega corporations which uh, I will not talk for too long to find everything this in my book these mega corporations are doing something that was unimaginable for marx they privatized or are privatizing our commons? They don't privatize directly the products, but the very medium in which we communicate to exchange products. Ideas, you use Bill or Gates as the
0: primary example of someone who, like, he makes money not from creating Microsoft. Yeah, but, yeah. Bill
2: Gates or 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 Zuckerberg, uh, Facebook, and so on and so on. So I think one has to be has to be more precise here. What The source of their extreme wealth is not the classical profit, it's rent. If we today are talking, we in different ways, I don't know how it works with Zoom, but with others and so on, they get a profit for this. They own the very common space within which we interact now. And uh, now the catastrophe is this one that this neo feudalism. Of the new masters, and it's really this shocks me too much how these figures are even in the big media more and more accepted as our feudal lords, but in a very traditional way, that they are presented even as wise men advising cascades. For example, I was shocked when recently Bill Gates said, you know. We will have to organize differently our pharmaceutical uh, companies so that uh, everybody, even in the third world, will be vaccinated, blah, 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 blah. My shock is wait a minute. What does this guy know? He is not a medical specialist. He is not an epidemiologist, you know? Or even we orbit other economic. These guys really function like these new wise persons and you know who is much worse than bill gates for me at least did you all you william matt but also uh, our public i hope it's worth listening to i am doubtful about death penalty but in this case i said oh my god maybe death penalty should be used mark zuckerberg presentation of his meta. Uh, oh, yeah. Isn't we it,
0: Yes, the metaverse is... Oh, man. Yeah, we had a whole episode about the
2: metaverse. Yeah. Isn't this a kind of a feudal manifesto? The, uh, Slavo, he did is you know literally that... literally offering us an artificial digital space which, within which we will fluently communicate and so on and so on, within which our actual differences will be somehow obliterated in this space freedom, but a space which will be controlled, regulated by him. This is, again, the biggest neo feudal manifesto. Uh,
0: Slava, did, I was wondering, did you see the article in the New York Times the other week about how um, basically uh, real estate speculators are already buying property in the metaverse, like entirely imaginary digital <laughs> property? Are, they're buying up, uh, like, you know, location, 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 but in a completely imaginary digital world that's owned and created by Mark Zuckerberg.
2: Yeah, but what I like here is that it's a little bit similar. I know the analogy is uh, too vague, but it's similar for me to crypto coins and so on. You know, you thought there is one medium of payment or one common space controlled by state and so on. Now we get multiple commons and so on and so on. And I think that these multiple commons also make open up the space of new that's the other side of this uh, neo-feudalism of new tribal communities. Like I think that's why I will say now something horrible to provoke maybe even you but (laughs) definitely our listeners. I am as an old-fashioned totalitarian I think we'll come to a point where we will regret the good old-fashioned simple totalitarianism. I am for obligatory vaccination. Because the big why, I remember even a relatively undeveloped but well-organized till the chaos of last two decades country like Yugoslavia, we have some epidemics, one of these old-fashioned ones, I even forgot for which illness, and you know, the state was well organized. They mobilized all the doctors, army doctors, and so on, in a totally apolitical way. None of these political debates would ever end. In a little bit over one week, the entire population, at that point, um, 18 million was vaccinated. No talk about the free choice and so on. Why is this uh, important? It sounds non-democratic, but uh, uh, I think it's much more fair than what we are getting today. Uh, my country is here even, you know, sometimes in small, as your beloved ex-president would have put it, in a small shithole of a country, <laughs> like Slovenia, you get the case, the example, in a much clearer way. On the one hand, those the authorities want to get people vaccinated, but they don't want to make the step towards mandatory vaccination. So on the one hand, they insist it's free, it's your decision. On the other hand, they are piling up complications. Practically, it will be total lockdown for those who are not vaccinated. I see in this the worst possible combination of state regulation, and pseudo-personal freedom. And in my country, again, I think about three weeks ago, an announcement from our Ministry of Health, even by a slip of tongue, of course, directly produced this uh, the truth, when they said it's obligatory for all pupils in elementary school to freely choose vaccination. <laughs> <laughs> pronounced, they literally pronounced the formula. I think it would have been much more liberating to again, to depoliticize this field. The horror is that this purely, purely, it's not medical. I know all the economic background and so on. But isn't it horrible that this, uh, at, uh, at least in its form of appearance, medical emergency got caught into this neo-tribal debate of, you know, each group, its identity, I have my freedom, you have your freedom, and so on and so on. This is the worst combination of state authority with this fake individualism. This is one big problem Uh, for me. And I think we are paying the price no so uh sorry yes you want to say like
0: i mean how, how does this fit into your idea that you argue for um in, in the new book of you know of calling for like a mobilization of a kind of like permanent wartime communism like what, what does that mean and how does that fit into i that? will tell you
2: i will tell you uh, uh even now take this please with a grain of salt how do they say you know but even I did something horrible when I gave, I forgot to which country, although it was in English, an interview where they asked me, what do you think about this as a democratic socialist? And automatically, I couldn't control myself. I said, sorry, I'm not a democratic socialist. I'm a (laughs) non-democratic communist. It didn't end well. What I meant is this. Do you know Monty Python? Of course. The movie, The Life of Brian. Classic. Do you know it's endlessly repeated, even used in politics, that joke when some kind of anti-Roman Palestinian liberation front. What have the Romans ever done for us
0: outside the aqueducts? And then at the end, the conclusion
2: (laughs) is they brought road, regular water supply, health safety, and, but basically, nothing, you know. (laughs) All right,
0: but apart from the sanitation, the medicine, education, wine, public
2: order, irrigation, roads, a fresh water system, and public health, what have the Romans ever done for us? Brought peace? Oh, peace! Shut up! And so, uh, I would say, do we want communism? Absolutely not. Nothing with it. We just want... uh, global healthcare, uh, care, some kind of social control over economy, uh, and so on, and so on. And then, basically, we enumerate measures, which, for me, sound like already some kind of communism. By communism, I don't mean, don't be afraid. I try to be, that's the paradox I will use. But recently, some, I don't know if I use this in the book, not recently, so it must be one year ago, uh, a German conservative daily making an interview with me, one Germanster asked me, In what sense are you a communist? And I answered, I'm a moderately conservative communist, you know. And then they gave me a wonderful answer. They say, That's nice because we are moderately communist conservatives. <laughs> My point is this one I'm very sensitive to all of these uh, personal freedoms social solidarity, and so on. That's also why, if you ask me, China, what they are doing now, this new order imposed, although there are obviously some correct insights to help the poor, the impoverished, and so on, will not work. Because their ideal is that against this modern consumerism to return to forums of organic community. They use the term neoconservative, neoconservative solidarity. But the forum in which they are doing it is a typically authoritarian state of emergency. You know, it will not work. But again, what I'm saying is just this. Look at what they are saying they were saying in Glasgow. The, The big demands are clear. And especially uh, um, uh, uh, the case of Omicron now made it clear. My argument for what I call communism. First, uh, specialists are confirming that uh, new variants, the breeding ground for new variants, are countries where a little, very small percentage of, relatively small percentage of the population is vaccinated. Second thing, So uh, 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 And we, the developed countries, or the world, totally failed in establishing even a basic mechanism of solidarity, which would profit ourselves even, not even in the long term, even in the short term, to control as much as it is possible the pandemic. So this is the first thing. There was no actual, although everybody was calling for worldwide vaccination, Nothing was really done. Second thing that I find really ethically terrifying. Do you know that in many developed countries, I don't know who it is in the United States, but I know this is the case in Europe, uh, states were hoarding big amounts of vaccines. We don't know what to do with them. And now, discreetly, they're already doing it. States are destroying vaccine because they're deadline date has passed, they can no longer be used. Nobody thought at least of giving them a little bit earlier quickly to to non-developed countries. So no cooperation and so on, no global healthcare, and we are now all paying uh, the price for it. By communism, I mean simply a series of things like this. I'm not saying... We should privatize. Sorry, we should nationalize things. No. For example, uh, I would allow companies' competition to produce. Otherwise, if state simply nationalizes health industry, I know this is then a, a, a ground, it opens up a space for immense corruption. No, But nonetheless, the state should set the standards in the sense of, here is the money, we need vaccines, and so on, and so on. Now, we are making steps towards this. Just look what happened in the last two years. As again, Varoufakis pointed out, the whole logic of investment and so on, of market profitability was at some level abandoned. States printed money, spent incredible amounts of it. But, of course, then this money was diverted in another way. But it is as if there was a worldwide fear, panic, and ordinary, not only ordinary people, but even capital, even big capital, couldn't manage the situation. Everybody, most of the people, expected the state to strongly intervene. And that's why I don't buy the story of uh, this crisis was invented by big companies, by states. The moment of truth was for me, I remember around a year ago in United Kingdom, in England, where uh, Boris Johnson tried to, his government tried to postpone for as long as possible harsher measures, lockdown of schools and so on. And it was the demand from below people, parents, teachers, who demanded stronger uh, measures. So something happened, which was I now use the formulation of my friend, I really appreciate him, Alvaro Garcia Linera, the ex-vice president of Bolivia. He's a great theorist also, he said, are we aware what a strange thing happened with the pandemic? It was as if global capitalism capitalism, organized its own general strike. Uh, most of the production closed down, people were isolated, and so on, and so on, and so on. And, this, and then we all expected from the state local communities and so on to do something to make our life livable in ways which are not done with with regard to the profitability. We were all in panic. So this, this let's call it, this was de facto a step towards communism. But uh, uh, now I know how the establishment tried to uh, turn this around how the the money which was printed was uh, used. uh, uh, I don't know, in Europe, there is an incredible example described by Varoufakis, how this money was used. Uh, Deutsche Bank gave Volkswagen a couple of billions of euros to get to survive the crisis. And what Volkswagen did is it used this money to buy back its own stocks, which were not owned by Volkswagen itself, etc. This is a horrible story. But what is happening is that, like, it's no longer for me, so that I don't get lost, it's no longer for me just the choice, uh, neoliberal capitalism, or whatever we call it, socialism. No, liberal capitalism, that should be the lesson, is already, in the form that we all knew disappearing. Well, yeah. And the real yeah. choice today is neo-feudalism, corporate rule, or something that I call communism. Right. Well,
0: I mean, like, uh, you know, to one example of that, uh, you write, you are in the book about um, like this sort of worst of all worlds that we find ourselves in, in America and the West, in terms of like the way we have dealt with this crisis. Are you read about like, uh, we, we all know that like uh, these sort of half lockdowns that were imposed totally don't work. And then, but we also all agree that the economy in our country can't handle another even half lockdown or even a full lockdown, which would be like Mm. you know the stronger measure, Mm. what is necessary. But so if that's the if that's the case, like left unsaid in all this is the idea. Well, if the economy can't take it, we need to change the economy.
2: Yeah, but this again, I think that this precisely is the lesson of the continuing pandemic because after the first wave of lockdowns in the spring of. 2020, a year and a half ago, it's obvious that the system as it is cannot sustain other strong lockdowns. And uh, in some sense, we lost and we will be paying the price now. But I think the problem in this way, we call this elegantly uh, to learn to live with COVID. You learn to live, people are dying, and so on, and so on. I think uh, this, in the long term, will not be a solution. Not only will the pandemic go on, but I think that it will get combined with new ecological forms of ecological crisis. And it will be again and again a pressure. I know what's the temptation here. The temptation is to do it the Chinese way, in a strong authoritarian way. You know, that's the Chinese dream, to allow even a strong amount of capitalism, but the state administration, the party, there is a higher agency which controls it, and so on and so on. I think this doesn't work because this higher agency lacks, what I, in my philosophical mood, call following Immanuel Kant, the public use of reason. The space of communication is closed, is controlled, and so on, and it doesn't work. But nonetheless, I am saying that this whole view of let's suffer for a year or two, then things will return back to normal again. It doesn't work. And Back to my another point that may interest our viewers, wouldn't you agree that also this is how we can explain the rise of conspiracy theories? Not only the old Marxist or liberal modes of cognitive mapping. By cognitive mapping, I mean we have a general view of history. We know there is progress. Like the last big liberal cognitive mapping was Fukuyama, the end of history. We are there, and it's just how slowly all will catch up with this. We have the communist cognitive mapping. Even that one, at least in its traditional form, no longer works. Here I much prefer, I don't know who said this, saint just or Robespierre, one of my favorite Jacobins, who said that revolution is not you follow a higher plan and then just gradually realize it, One of them said that a a revolutionary leader is like a captain on a ship in wild, roaring sea without a compass, without orientation. We have to improvise, things will go wrong, we have to get used to this openness. And I think conspiracy theories are, as my good friend Alenka Zupanchich developed, are the... Closest we can come today to theology. Nobody, or at least most of us, we don't believe in divine providence and so on. Like, you know, the divine attitude is, oh, sorry, the uh, believer's attitude, religious attitude is, uh, don't worry, these are problems, but there is an old guy up there. This old guy can also be called historical providence, direction of history. It will take us out. We no longer trust this. So the lesson of conspiracy theories is, for me, something like better an evil god than no god. Because it's the same as with anti-Semitism. I like this parallel. Hitler, what did Hitler do in the late 20s, early 30s? Uh, Ordinary citizens were totally confused in Germany. No? What's happening? strikes, moral decadence, uh, hyperinflation, economic crisis, the world was falling apart. Hitler provided a simple answer. It's the Jews, the Jewish conspiracy. Isn't something similar that uh, the anti-pandemic conspiracy theorists are doing? Isn't something similar to this? They provide a clear answer, although there are multiple versions. But the clear answer is there is a big conspiracy of state controlling agencies, secret services, big corporations, and so on and so on. So, uh, uh, to put it in a condensed way, better an evil god than no god. At least we know where history is moving. But I think what is behind this, now I will say, I wonder if you would agree, is something very naive, Till now, okay, there was an earthquake here and there, uh, problems, but basically life went on. At least we in the West experienced catastrophes as something, boom, it happens, then we have mourning, it's horrible. But somehow we had this trust in daily life, which somehow goes on. And with the pandemic, And it will get even stronger, I think. With global warming, we will really find ourselves in this radical uncertainty. And it will be a very concrete thing. I mean, for example, take, I don't know, take Seattle. Although my favorite city on the upper uh, west coast of the United States, it's not Seattle, it's Portland. Why? Because they have the big bo- best book bookstore in the United States, I think, but it's another story. What I'm saying is that, look, in the summer, you got almost uh, 15 degrees Celsius heat, then you get tremendous floods now, and so on, and so on. And uh, these catastrophes are no longer exceptions which happen once in a lifetime. Like, I remember when there was, was it with floods? No, it was with that heat wave in southwest Canada, northwest United States, when they said this happens every 200 years. Yes, but now every year something that should have happened every 200 years will be coming. Now, I'm not saying the situation is lost. I'm saying we will have to reorganize our life. And again, I am not preaching for a Chinese way. There are other possibilities I will give you, although usually in these days we only hear bad news, sorry, bad things about Modi and India, and I'm very opposed to him. But look how <clears throat> uh, combining vaccination with local measures, self-mobilization of people, how well India dealt with the pandemic. When was it? Half a year ago when it exploded in India we thought, oh, that will be the big catastrophe. No, now they are I don't know, 5 to 10 thousand cases a day and it can it can be done. Just think about how, I'll put it this way, that's my message to some conservatives, maybe they are listening to us. That was the point of my Monty Python joke. Please Think as an anti-communist and you will end up on my side. You know, the German and French philosophers have a wonderful way that when you, precisely when you try to repel the truth, you unknowingly embrace it. It's the same as, sorry if I'm jumping, a wonderful detail that I remember I read about the end of civil war. Lincoln versus Confederacy in the United States. You know what the South had to do to survive in the last year of the war? They tried to mobilize black slaves as soldiers. They offered them freedom and so on just to fight for them. They had, because they lacked uh, industry, uh, armaments and so on, they had to socialize whatever little industry they had, and so on, and so on. That's what we believe. Maybe, maybe, that's my totally crazy, optimistic wager. Precisely when we think how to do it without falling into the Chinese way of authoritarian order, if we want to be anti-communist in this way, no, I don't want that. That's maybe the only chance today to slowly arrive at a more open type of communism. Because by communism, I mean, again, we have to have global health coordination. Soon, we will have to have global uh, food coordination. It's clear that things are, for example, I already read, it's not yet felt, but because of the drought and floods in Brazil and main coffee-producing countries, Everybody knows there will be a crisis in soy, in coffee, and so on and so on. It can be done, and I'm not talking about some stupid global government. No, that would have been a breeding ground for incredible corruption. But cooperation, cooperation, global cooperation, because there will be millions of new refugees, how to avoid wars. But the lesson we have to take is... What happened in Glasgow now? It was a model of how, what they were saying, all the idiots there from Prince Charles down, it's basically true, we have only this earth, we have to do something. But the way they put it was precisely to make it sure with no precise obligations and so on, that nothing really will happen. And that's the perversity, would you agree, of the situation today? You try to sabotage truth, by truth I mean what we really need to do precisely by talking about it all the time. In a new text of mine, I quote again my favorite uh, uh, text by uh, it's George Orwell who said in a wonderful text from 37 that he knew where we are today. It is as if he is writing about Liberal, leftist, politically correct ones, and so on. That uh, that progressive intellectuals talk all the time about the need to change, but they talk in such a way that it really means let's talk all the time about it to make it sure that nothing will really change. If I could uh,
0: just go back for a second uh, to uh, something you were talking earlier about. Uh, conspiracy theories and uh, anti-Semitism. And I want to talk about like the, 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 the sections of the book where you talk about uh, what happened to uh, like Corbyn's expulsion from the Labour Party in the UK over
2: Alex. Not only, but you know what's the madness? Sorry to interrupt you, I'll allow you immediately. Uh, Alec, uh, uh, what happened to Corbyn? I don't agree. I support, as it's clear, for my book, fully Corbyn. But I can understand it as this uh, revenge of of Blair centrist Labour Party against the left. But you know what's so horrible? Here you get this surplus revenge. They threw out also Ken Lowe. Yeah. A movie director who was just solidarity with the Labour Party. That was not necessary. He was just helping them. He wasn't in any way active and so on. And this is uh, what I find today, this uh, unnecessary excess. You know, in the old days, it was, we have different streams in the Labour Party and so on. One wins, the other wins. Now the conflicts are getting much harsher, and I can understand why. Because the, the only true difference in the United Kingdom is within Labour Party, here, star versus the left. Here, Starmer and Johnson uh, and Boris Johnson, these are small differences, accents are different and so on and so on. And what worries me is, but you should teach me here, uh, uh, tell me, uh, what's the situation in the United States? Because I, on the one hand, I'm very pragmatic. Although I was, and in the book, you still have this very critical of Biden some of his measures are already, let me put it like this, trans-capitalist. I don't buy the idea of some of my radical leftist friends, no, this is just a trick to keep capitalism alive. No, the trillions of dollars that Biden wants to spend on, on, this is already a kind of a trans-market social intervention. But the true... Tragedy is another one, if I may uh, improvise a little bit. I find this the danger. You know, we in Slovenia we have a saying: when the devil has young has young children, he usually has a lot of them at the same time, <laughs> not just one but many. So, combined with global warming, pandemic, and so on, we have now, I think, a real threat of war. People think it will be local, but you don't know how it can explode. I think that, and let me tell you, I'm not here simply anti-China and Russia, but I see, first, I have friends in China who are now scared like I They are afraid to email me from there if somebody goes to another country where Probably Chinese authorities don't control. They are telling me that all the signs, and there are too many signs to dismiss them as contingent, all the signs are pointing that China is getting ready for a military action to liberate, occupy, use your term, Taiwan. First thing, I like in a Freudian way these small details. It tells a lot. Do you know that China just this year produced, I mean, produced, it was already shown in movie theaters, their biggest.
0: Oh, they're, they're big at the, the Battle of um, uh, the. The, the yeah, Battle yeah, at the,
2: the Lake. Lake Joseon. Uh, yeah, the
0: Korean War Battle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, uh, although it wasn't quite a spontaneous big hit, but it is immensely. Popular. And the message that all my friends read into it is that it's not about a revolutionary fight, war, to liberate China. It's about foreign intervention. You know, right. Chinese army to save goes out to save North Korea. Second thing, friends are telling me, it's this immense wave of new patriotism in China. This anti-West uh, uh, stance at the same time combine this patriotism with again a shift of China towards a nation state. Till now China was very proud I spoke with many people there to point out don't apply to us the Western notion of, uh, of nation state. We are just a large shared civilization but we don't have this homogeneity, now they're getting it. For example, I learned that even in all those parts from Tibet to, how is that part called, I forget the name, where Uyghurs live, Muslims, Khan is taught in schools as the first language. They try to unify the country. It's a move toward nation-state. Then, uh, I know a very good Slovene journalist who was for years in China, and even now, she, an old lady, follows Chinese military journals, not the secret ones. But, you know, they have one or two big representative military journals where it's meant for the public, although for a narrow public, where they uh, present strategic thinking and so on. And already for more than 10 years, she told me, the fear of the Chinese military theories is this one, that the United States and other Western countries wisely always engaged in small wars, small for their scope, like Afghanistan, Iraq, and so on, to keep their army battle ready. You have to test your armed forces in real conflict, even if it's a limited one. And they worry, the Chinese strategists, that, The last real conflict, small one they had was, this was already 30, 40 years ago, 30. You remember when, as a punishment for invading Kampuchea, Deng Xiaoping ordered an operation occupying part of northern Vietnam. And then they immediately withdrew. It was a scandalous failure. But they claim we need to test our country. If you combine this with all the worrying signs about, uh, again, uh, uh, Taiwan and so on, and uh, now I don't know what is true, but, uh, but wait a minute. I'm not now buying the Western story because I will tell you immediately also the other side. If you combine this with new tensions in Ukraine, between Russia and Ukraine, there are many signs pointing in the direction that, These two superpowers, Russia and China, are planning a simultaneous attack. They count that the West is so tired in its liberalism and so on, peaceful multiculturalism, that they will not risk a global war. Now you will say, I'm dreaming. Oh, I will tell you another nice story that a friend of mine who lives in the West, but is Chinese citizen, uh, read there, and it was also in our media, something very mysterious happened. About two months ago, you must have read it in your media, Chinese authorities advised people, ordinary people, families, to gather food supplies for at least a month or two. Now, they didn't give a reason. Maybe it was just they feared some Uh, some uh, ecological breakdown, weather, drought, or whatever. But it sounded also like get ready for a possible war. Because uh, the irony is that this friend of mine told me that another friend of him just wanted to do a report in the media about this and started to ask politicians, you know, what is the sense of this measure? Why should people corp by get supplies. Uh, the guy disappeared. For <laughs> so, but uh, now the other side of the story. It's not that we in the West are weak, liberal, and so on, and these evil countries are uh, just uh, collecting to attack us. You know, uh, another thing. Here again, Varoufakis and some other economists uh, warrant me, very worrying. Let's face it, and. It's not bad. Now I will sound like U.S. propagandist. Great American creativity. You, the United States, more or less dominate digital software and hardware. Hardware and software. You know, you do the great digital project and so on, all that. It's yours. You have only one serious competition, China. That's why such an accent on Uh, against Huawei and so on, they will control us, listen to us and so on and so on. It's really a battle for monopoly. And that's why, did you notice how, although there was a big change, big, I don't know how big, also in foreign politics, from Trump to Biden, but this obsession with China, trade war with China remained. If anything, it got, a little bit worse even with Biden. Here I think the United States are guilty and I understand a little bit the Chinese paranoia. As for uh, Soviet Union and Ukraine, I also think that it's not as clear as it may appear. The people say, yes, Russia broke the rule because when Soviet Union fell apart, there was an explicit deal, which is that between, uh, at that point, Yeltsin and the West, which was Russia should retain all nuclear weapons, but it should unconditionally recognize all borders with other republics, especially Ukraine, as they are. So they claim Putin violated this. Yes, but the other part of this agreement was that uh, no ex-Soviet republics will join NATO. And there also the West broke the promise. So, you know, it's as if secretly both sides are getting ready for this conflict. And this is what, again... Makes me a pessimist. I talk too much, much.
0: Please. You know, if I could, uh, you know, uh, uh, be sort of an, uh, an American chauvinist and uh, uh, refocus at the, here at home in America. Um, in your chapter, you've, you've written in this book and before that uh, the, the, the true postmodernists in, in present culture are conservatives. Yeah. And I want to talk about that in the context of no the, the January 6th uh, Capitol riot. You, you describe it as sort of a carnival a farce, but like, is it, isn't it also like it, it, a kind of expression of a postmodern conservative? And I mean, like, use the example of the QAnon shaman, the guy with the Viking hat, which yeah. is like not, which is a product of a 19th century romantic imagination about who the Vikings were, but it's part of this, this, this spectacle of, um, they, they showed up to the Capitol and then like, you know, looked around and then went home. Like uh how how do you see like the uh the, the January 6th riot and like the reactions to it as like uh indicative? Do you know,
2: yeah. uh, now I try to develop, I think there is some cap, sub chapter maybe in the book where I go into it. That's why I think that uh I'm not saying that Trump is good, was good or better than fascist, but that he is still not the old-way fascist. Old way fascists really want to abolish even the form of democracy. They have a program. I think that Trump's strategy is to remain within what is formally a democratic space. And that's the postmodern feature. But at the same time, profit from accusing the deep state or whatever, that it's a false democracy controlled by hidden elites and so on and so on. That's, for me, the logic of populism. Populism, in this sense, is not fascism. Fascists simply want power, full power. They really want to abolish democracy. What Trump and this new right want is this, uh, call it democracy which loses its legitimacy but still remains as an empty form. Uh, that's why, and here enters postmodernism. I think I used in the book a couple of examples. For example, this is again the moment of truth, like the one I mentioned in Slovenia, when a government representative said it's obligatory that uh, all uh, pupils in a school uh, do voluntary manda- do voluntary participation. <laughs> do you remember one of those uh, propagandists? A lady senator journalist, doesn't matter. I good example for Trump uh, uh, celebrated uh, the, the 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 Congress riot, and then you know when she was put to court. You know what was her defense? What isn't it clear that what I said was so crazy that it couldn't have been true? Oh, this is I you think
0: uh, the the lawyers uh, was it like uh, like um
2: how, yeah yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. You see, this is for me typical postmodern politics. It's not, but it's wrong to say it doesn't matter since they don't think, take it truthfully. No, even if you, that's the lesson to be learned from this. Even if you consciously lie, lies become a material reality. They have a certain efficiency. So I am here in this sense obscenity, again, a moderately conservative communist. I think that we should abandon this liberal left marginalist stance, you know. So what we should do, now comes my conservative communism, is to take from the right the motive, don't be afraid of the majority of ordinary people. Many of them are just confused but they're basically honest people and so on. We should trust them, or to use my provocative formula, which I regularly use, our message should be, and Bernie Sanders not, uh, knew how to play this game, our message should be, we are the true moral majority. Not, you know, if you mention to a, to a, to a liberal leftist moral majority, oh, but what about the minorities? They immediately think about some crazy conservative. No, they are the crazy minority. They are the extent. We shouldn't be afraid to go this way. Um,
0: Well, you you also write in the book about this uh, this ongoing deadlock, and you describe this the conflict between. AOC and her, like, you know, uh, a qualified support for Joe Biden and, and what his administration is trying to do. Yeah, yeah. And, and then sort of, like, a radical, the Democratic socialists who are, you know, uh, saying that, you know, she's, she's selling out by, like, propping up this, you know, like, awful uh, capitalist government or whatever. Uh, and, like, and, and this deadlock over, like, race versus class yeah. and, like, the, these these things that are just seemingly uh, continue to be unresolved in, like, uh, American Democratic socialism or whatever, you're, whatever you want to call it. But I mean, like you take the position that basically both sides are wrong, but they are each right about the other.
2: Yeah, that's my Stalinist <laughs> yeah. paradox. Because I think that strategically, in that no, sorry, tactically, in that, at that precise point, I think AOC was right that his mega financial measure spending trillions on new investments, ecology, and so on. We have to support here Biden, especially since it's a question how much it was even Biden, to what extent it was Janet Yellen and some others. But at the same time, we should uh, keep a critical distance. Our stance should be, okay, we support you here, but let's see, will you really do it? But I, where I don't agree with so-called leftist radicals, it's this comfortable position, you know. We are waiting for an authentic change. Well, sorry, if you wait for it, it will never come. You will end up with, like that, how is he called? Bob Avakian or what? You remember German that? Bob. small community yeah. working. No. Uh, we should shamelessly Use all means, invest, engage ourselves, even if we know that probably they will fail. Don't wait for the right moment. The right moment arises only through failed attempt. For example, uh, that I like, uh, uh, now it's fashionable to say among some radical leftists that uh, occupy Wall Street was just a minority thing, a couple of upper middle class students and so on. It didn't have real popular support. Well, maybe, and it disappeared. But I think it formed the fertile ground for 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 Bernie Sanders and all those. You know, slowly, slowly things are changing. Like, although I have doubts about the term socialism, because you know, it's such a vague term that once even who was it, Bill Gates or or Elon Musk called himself a socialist. But it's a big progress for the United States that democratic socialism was nonetheless legitimized as a term in the mainstream discourse. So slowly, slowly, what, what I would advise is this a combination of patient approach with the urgency. Yes, the situation is urgent. Here I agree with the guy who was till now, now he's old and tired, attacking me, Noam Chomsky, but I agree with him when he said we don't have time to afford this slow approach, you know. Now it's not yet the time, let's wait, and so on, and so on. If we just wait, it will be a horrible awakening that is ahead. And this is, if you ask me my uh, basic pessimism, unfortunately, I first, what needs to be done, or what I ironically call war communism measures, we cannot afford this Marxist opportunism. We are following the loss of historical progress. No, it's against the spontaneous tendency. The spontaneous tendency is towards Suicide, what's global, ecological, and so on suicide. So so it's not that we can have this trust in the future. It's voluntarism what we need to do. It's doing things which are not grounded in any deeper historical law. And what I am afraid is that we had a couple of half awakenings pandemic put forward this necessity of new modes of social solidarity and so on. Uh, Global warming will lead to this, but obviously it was not enough. I think, unfortunately, what I'm afraid of is that, and don't be afraid, they will come much stronger catastrophic
0: well uh we're uh we're running running out of time here I've, I've i've one more question for you but uh uh before that i just want to see if uh, uh matt, well, matt do you have any, uh...
2: remember you are my sensor <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> matt do you have any uh, uh questions or comments for uh, slavo here i mean if we're
3: gonna i'm just really curious if we're gonna have a war between uh i guess china and the u.s
2: uh who do you got who, who do you put your money on who do you think will win uh, i'm here uh... I must admit my uh, limitation. Here, I am here. There are so many things that I don't know. I hope at least that maybe they are already in advance making some secret negotiations and so on, you know. So I hope it will be, if it will happen, everything is possible. I I don't want to laugh too much. On the one and, uh I don't think that the West will risk a total war, which is why even in reaction to these threats, Western powers, in some recent declaration, clearly talk about economic boycott, other defensive measures, but they don't talk about we will fully counterattack militarily, you know. So uh, what I... Would like to is not for this threat to give rise to a Western militarism. I I think the deep deepest answer should be such wars are madness because we should be all together in a much more urgent fight for ecology and so on and so on. And China is also becoming aware of it. What The relatively good news from my friends in China is that the leadership, the new one, is taking very seriously now ecological threat. It's not a fake because they are, uh, you know, we don't read all of it. Informations are controlled from China. But do you know, for example, that, that the last year or so, was catastrophic for Chinese agriculture. They had to import much more. They had droughts, they had floods, and so on and so on. It was a catastrophe. They are simply no longer self-sufficient, and they know they have to do it. On the other hand, China is already, to such an extent, interconnected with other countries. For example, getting meat and especially soy from Argentina, China's relations with Australia are now bad, but China imports so much raw stuff minerals and so on from Australia. you know China is uh, just for the bare survival at a certain level, much more dependent on import export than for example the United States. The United States would have survived with the total isolation in a much easier in a much easier way. So I simply don't know enough. Is this a kind of a double level game where secretly unknown to us ordinary people, some basic rules are already established or whatsoever? I just find it sad that in a situation where we are at war with ourselves, at war of survival because of Pandemic, ecological crisis, and so on and so on. That we that at the same time this very situation instead of sobering cars, my God, we don't have time for our stupid conflicts. What I would have be obsessed with this today is what if the desertification in some parts of the world is going on? On the other hand, because of global warming, in Siberia now enormous land will become defrozen, fertile, and so on. It's clearly that for all of us to survive, there will have to be tremendous exchanges of movements of millions, hundreds of millions of people. For example, the whole Middle East oil-producing area, which means Emirates, uh, Bahrain, Kuwait, southern Iraq, and Iran, is now getting too hot even for ordinary people, I don't, I don't call them Ethiopian aborigines, but local Arab people there. It's simply too much. So what will happen? That's what I would be dealing with. So, uh, but I don't know enough. I'm stupid. I don't know enough, and I would be very grateful for your critical reaction here. Like, do you have another idea? It may be a more paranoia one. Like those. In power don't care about it and so on. They're ready to risk total war. It may be a meta paranoiac theory that they are just trying to scare us. There are already secret understand, secret facts and so on. I don't know enough. I'm really asking you here.
3: It does feel like as crises uh, metastasize that that these uh, these forms, these these nation states are going to start bumping up against each other. In more and more violent ways, and that's going to have to be processed somehow. Uh, I mean, if if there is hope for American socialism, sometimes I think it, it really our only real hope is some sort of free officers movement in the American military, because the, the U.S. military really is the only institution in America that has legitimacy and uh, and power. me
2: what do you mean, free officers? I didn't get it.
3: Oh, uh, just like uh, a movement of like middle officers in the United States military uh, deciding essentially to seize control of the uh, American economic system uh, in emergency capacity rather than just allow uh, liberal uh, capitalism to uh, produce itself into oblivion.
2: This is a wonderful idea. You, I love you. You cannot even imagine to what extent you touch my deep totalitarian <laughs> <laughs> But, but long, on the other hand, you know that these middle officers are very ambiguous creatures. I hope United States is an exception here. But in Chile, Pinochet, and the other, you have quite often the opposite situation. Where Top army is relatively enlightened. The mid officers can be new-right, neo-fascist, and so on. But this idea, yes, I immediately, because uh, supported, you know why? Because army nonetheless is not fully, even in reality, even if in reality, army is interconnected with economy, civil life, But nonetheless, you are at some kind of symbolic distance. You have a minimum of distance towards the madness of economic, political life. You have a different type of safety, and that maybe enables it. My God, I will use this. I have to write about it, what you said. It's a wonderful theory of enlightened mid-level officers, because somehow... Taking control, you know, like severe good parents saying, "Sorry, guys, you screwed it up. We will just set some minimal standards and so on." And uh, I don't care if this happens. Sometimes you, you, I, you. Sometimes it has to be done. And anybody who comes, I don't care who it is. I was always against this demonization of the army as if they are automatically uh, fascists and so on and so on. There are progressive uh, uh, interventions of state forces, but I like the, your idea, especially for the obvious reason that it will be so shocking for the white public, like, you know, United States, the greatest democracy in the world of all times. Only a military coup attack and save it, you yourself. Know? <laughs> That's maybe precisely the situation, you know why? Because again, because of this neo-tribalism and so on, what you already have in the United States, it's a de facto state of civil war. Ideological for the time being, but who knows where it will go. Like and don't underestimate here the state power. It's very important now, this uh, Roe versus Wade uh, abolition of uh, move towards further limitations on abortion. But we in Europe are, in a sad, negative sense, further than you. You know what Poland is now experiencing? A new wave of demand for total prohibition. You know what's happening there. Till now, they had three exceptions. If it was rape especially a family rape if a uh, mother's life is in danger so that if uh, that if you don't uh, uh, stop uh, the pregnancy she may die or if the the baby is affected it's clear that it will be birth over that but now they want they already i don't know which one one of the three i think this one that even if the, the pregnancy poses danger for the mother, it's, uh, mother, it's already uh, prohibited, and you know, they already ha- had a couple of deaths.
0: Yeah, I saw Totally. Right.
2: Unnecessary. Yeah, so what I think is that in such a situation of total almost civil war, there are two Americas, there are two polands there are, in the western of Europe, it's not yet a death. It's still uh, the populist neoconservatives are a little bit more limited. But in Hungary and so on, and you know what makes me really sad, as many intelligent observers notice, that this conflict between, how do we call them neoconservative populists and traditional liberals in power, is basically a pseudo-conflict. We cannot simply take side there because, as we all know, intelligent neoconservative populists are assumed, included into their program, some measures which were traditionally left-liberal measures. For example, as my friend from Poland explained to me, this horrible party of Kaczynski, uh, 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 Justice and Law or whatever, but do you know that they raised lower the retirement age, made very good credit, loans for students, better health care, and so on and so on. So, uh, we have always to reject this faticistic fascination with, uh, my God, right-wing populism. No, they are the symptom of what the liberal mainstream was doing wrong, inclusive of political correctness. What they are doing wrong. We have always to be aware of this. And So the action maybe can only come from somebody who is simply neutral. Neutral, not really nobody is neutral, but in the formal sense of because of their professional position, standing outside this direct conflict. And yes, frankly, I don't see any other force than the army here. It's horrible what we are saying today. I <laughs> hope we will be lynched by, by all the leftists and so on, you know. But we're living terrible times and we have to be very... Do, do you, make you said this. Did you dare already to write somewhere about this? Huh? Uh? No, and
3: uh, and uh, the Carnation Revolution in uh, Portugal, you know, like that's...
2: A yes, more realistic yes. path
3: than uh, any kind of uh, mass political yes. path and in the U.S.
2: Very good idea because you know why I was in Portugal. I met some of them, and they are so—they were so deeply honest. I read in a bourgeois centrist media an interview with all the surviving officers of this Carnation Revolution. They did try to put to push revolution a little bit further. But when it didn't go, they very honorably stepped back. Not one case of corruption. They all now live retired lives. They did it. My God, they did it. You know, in a relatively honest way and so on. They, that's important what you say. They did it. Not, not the, the political opposition.
0: Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, say, I'm gonna save both of you uh, and our listeners from uh, going full uh, Mishima here. You know, before Matt, you know, <laughs> arms himself and forms a cadre to, you know, uh, <laughs> occupy West Point. Oh, no,
2: no, I want army. <laughs> I don't want. You,
0: know, the, you don't the, want. A, we don't want a writer getting, doing this. You uh, want people already in the army. That was Mishima's. That was his. That was no his nerds. problem. That's
2: yeah. Not, I, I no am rooting From the sidelines, <laughs> I'm not doing it. But do you know, incidentally, if we are, I don't like Mishima as a writer. Blah blah. But do you know that many leftists in Japan like him and saw him as a kind of a model? Yeah, yeah. Like he's doing right thing just in the wrong direction. Yeah.
0: Well, OK, so I'm I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save us from going down the Mishima route. So I'm just like, uh, the last thing I want to talk to you about is movies. And it's just simply what you've been watching, seen anything good lately.
2: No, no. I'm getting bored. Again, we are coming back to my totalitarian temptations. I liked, but it's not a mega movie, more because of this fatal, sacred war, is almost fantasy, Doom. Yeah. I like Doom. Oh,
0: you like Doom? Okay, <laughs> I like Doom too. I thought it was great.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, people will tell me, but it's a kind of Islamofascism new leader. I told them, but that's why I like Good. it. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but the movie I hate, I read about it is uh oh is this nomadland?
0: nomadland is that you critique that in the book Sorry? nomadland yeah. and
2: it's clear why yeah yes because i think it's class identity politics the message is each class even the poorest nomadic proletarians they have their own way of life it's sort of they nice
0: to... and earthy and sort of there's a beauty yeah, in it or yeah, whatever
2: yeah. <laughs> I, I i must say i don't like that yes yeah. Otherwise, I watch more TV series. I don't know. I watch old movies and so on. Hey, what about TV series? It,
0: what, what TV shows are you watching?
2: If I have some problems with eyes. Nothing really great, for example. But it kind of disappeared. It didn't do so well. You know, there was a TV series, Clarice, about Hannibal Lecter and oh, so Oh, right, on. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, it's not. It's just it she, Clarice. It happens, takes place after Silence of the Lambs. I watched I I watched the first episode you, of it,
0: but I, I did not stick with it. it. Yeah.
2: If you go on, it's get even, it, it the beginning is not so good, but what I like is that it is kind of a leftist twist. It moves, that's what I like, from this solo serial murderers to a big medical company making horrible experiments and so on and so on, the usual thing. The one I wrote about it also, I don't think it's in the book. Uh, my friends convinced me that it's, uh, my, Japan, uh, my South Korean friends, you know that, uh, uh, how is it with your, in your country, Squid Game?
0: It was a huge hit.
2: Yeah, but do you know that uh, it is, uh, First, it was greater hit in the West than in South Korea itself, yeah. I was told. Second thing, be careful. It's not even perceived as anti capitalist. And I know a guy who knows the creator of the series and confirmed this to me, because it's not like the message is not the one that was even, do you know, this taken over by North Korean media. You see, this is the real portrayal of South yeah, Korea. Yeah, yeah. People have to get killed to survive, to get out of them. No, the obsession of the guy is he has nothing against the game as such. The point is that the game is twisted, spin, you know. That it's not a fair game. Yeah, no no
0: like, yeah, like the the worst part of it is that like uh, is that the people involved in the game are are adulterating the purity of it by giving advantages to like you know one player to help them out in exchange for you know harvesting someone's yeah, organs yeah. or whatever. So yeah. the
2: desire beneath it is the basic premise is yes, life is too dull today, we need such violent games but they should be fair just against. No <laughs> cheating. So the whole direction is against cheating. It's for honest capitalism. <laughs> put it like this. It's totally false to perceive it as a radical critique of capitalism. No, yeah, they, they, In the same way no, as, no, yeah, uh, as,
0: uh, as... Squid game, they just want to get rid of crony squid game. They just want the pure, real squid game. You
2: know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yes. You see, this is the big danger today of pseudo-anti-capitalism. It pretends to be anti-capitalist, but if you look at it closely, you know. I'm not saying now there is another leftist paranoia to be avoided here. You know, the idiots who think uh, everything is already cooperated, there is no space. You just, no, it's not as simple as that. Just don't look at subver- don't look for subversive elements in places which are the most obvious. You know.
0: No, you have to find. If, uh, yeah, you're you're more going to find the the actually subversive threads in uh, in media that is not is like you know openly right wing or uh, like uh just sort of jingoistic or stupid.
2: I, I'm not afraid to say this. Yes. For example, I was told by friends from Hong Kong who are now not doing well how. You remember that, how was he called, my God, the great era of those Kung Fu movies? Uh, not Jet Li, who was the Jackie great Chan? one? No, 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 he's, uh, sold, he sold himself to the Chinese <laughs> establishment. Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee. But you know that in Eastern Asia, there, this, this series had a real anti-capitalist twist. The idea was, we poor people, we don't have big armies and so on. We only have our bodies. The only thing we can do is with disciplining our bodies and so on and so on. Don't underestimate the progressive background of this, whatever they will call like Bruce Lee, Kung Fu heroes, and so on and so on. It's very interesting. So I am, and my big advice is, as you already said, Don't be afraid to fully enjoy this dirty pleasure, you know. (laughs) You like kung fu, no problem, enjoy it, and so on. I'm always suspicious of this leftist puritanism, you know. That's why, on the other hand, I stopped watching it the last season. That was my problem with, as I've written often, with uh, especially more than the novel with the TV series uh, Handmaid's Tale.
0: Yeah. I did not like that It's show.
2: so ambiguous because I think the ideal viewer is the one who, under the pretext that, oh, it's a horrible portrait of uh, patriarchal order, so let's, uh, we enjoy it critically, but it allows you. To no, it gives it you a fantasy enjoying- of how
0: kind of like secretly fun it would be <laughs> to be enslaved in that yeah, manner.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. All my friends, even women, enjoy this, you know, how this, New modes, how they screwed up women there, this uh, obligation that they all enjoyed it secretly. And that one, I don't <laughs> like, I must say. All, all, already in the novel, you know, it was a sad failure. I forgot, what was the title of the part two novel?
0: Oh, of the, the sequel that Margaret, Margaret put, Oh man, I forget, I don't know.
2: It... Yeah, it doesn't matter, but you see, you were right to forget it because it's over. Like it disappeared. It's uh she didn't succeed in finding a formula of how to destroy the uh, uh, the failure of the novel is not just a narrative one. It demonstrates the the lack of uh, social political even imagination, I would say. But you know where are my true loves in movies? I'm here for a classical slapstick against. The big catastrophe were for me, for me, 50s with actor studio. So, you know, this psychological, Marlon Brando is bad guy. Yeah, yeah. With this, my ideal actor is Cary Grant, if you ask. This totally artificial, non-expressive face and so on and so on, you know. So I I think that all these slapstick comedies and so on, They are maybe a secret, secret treasure to be. Have you watched uh,
0: "Bringing Up Baby" recently? Crazy! These are my (laughs) eternal
2: movies. Bring uh, the one I like, although it's based on a play. It's not original story. uh, Arsenic and the Old Places. In a purely formal way, I haven't seen a more nervous movie. Cary Grant is something running around all the time. You know this pure historic, hysterical nervosity and so on. No, they those are great movies, if you ask.
0: All right. You know? That's a movie mindset from Slavo Zizek. I think we gotta end it there. Slavo, thank you so okay. much for your time.
2: Listen, I'm very grateful to help publicize the book because I am now so uh, how do you survive? Like you are the leftists who are not political by you I mean crap or house. <laughs> You must be also attacked from all sides, whatever. no.
0: So somehow we get by. I don't know. I mean, like, you know, I, I, I also I I'm God's I most punished man. But, you know, I suffer for 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 everyone on their behalf.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Although I prefer slightly others to suffer for me. I <laughs> it's always. Listen, I am really grateful that you gave me a chance. just please. Who is the master? Not you, Matt. You, William, you are the master. Yes. Please do the proper censorship. I cannot but appear an idiot, but try to lower a little bit the level of my stupidity. No? I,
0: I, I will I will do my best, Slava. The book is Heaven in Disorder. I want to thank you again so much for spending some time with us.
2: But, you know, can I tell you something? Uh, they are my friends Colin Robinson or books, but a slight stab at them. <laughs> Didn't they exaggerate it a little bit? with that Mao portrait of me (laughs) on the cover. You know, I have nothing against this, but, you know, in these politically correct times where everything is taken literally, what I'm afraid is that some idiots will really mean, look, he thinks he's the new Mao. (laughs) You know, you never know when you will be taken seriously. (laughs) Listen, I wish you all the best sincerely. I think... You and a couple of other podcasts are literally, I mean, our only hope today. To debate crazy things like that, you know, uh, the repetition of Portuguese, (laughs) Portugal (laughs) revolution here. This is what Kant called public use of reason. You don't care about institutional background, how it will work. You just go to the end in exploring crazy ideas. That's the only thing that can save us.
0: You, yeah, you, uh, he said it, not me. But I agree.
2: <laughs> ah, you will not do the usual trick. Claiming he said something, but basically you already said it better <laughs> earlier and so on, you know. Like, okay. Yeah. Thanks very much. Thank you. I'm grateful.